right, so today's episode is with Herman Fafiu. He is the founder of Bitcoin Akasi. It's a non-profit based in Mossel Bay, South Africa. Very much mirrored on uh, Bitcoin Beach. And so focused really on a Bitcoin standard, circular economies, adoption. We spoke about you know, some of the challenges in Africa, Bitcoin in Africa, personal responsibility. Um, and then we also got into the upcoming Bitcoin conference that's happening in my former hometown of Cape Town towards the end of January next year. I haven't committed to going yet, but I certainly am going to do my absolute best to go. If anyone's interested and wants to know a little bit more about Cape Town and you know, if it's worth it, just hit me up. I'd love you to go. Cape Town is one of the most magnificent places on earth and I'm 100% confident you'll love it, especially with my flaming hot tips. Uh, secondly, I'm aware of the fact that my audio and my acoustics are subpar. I'm working on a solution so that I don't sound as if I'm being, I'm recording this in some sort of echoey, hollowy school hall slash bathroom. It doesn't sound good. And apologies for that. Hopefully there's enough signal jam packed in the episode so that you can overlook it, but I'm working on it one step at a time. Thanks for coming on this journey, friends. Appreciate you all, hey? And now, let's jump to the show. Which one's the best crypto asset? Well, Bitcoin's the best crypto asset. Okay. What's the second best? There is no second best. There is no second best crypto asset. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Why Bitcoin Show. I'm your host, Dale Warburton. It's a weekly podcast on why Bitcoin matters and what makes it completely different to all other cryptocurrencies. If you're interested in Bitcoin, and you'd like to distill crypto fact from fiction, you've come to the right place. All right, Boyakasha. I don't know if that means anything to anyone listening, but um, I'm very <laughs> pleased to <laughs> I'm very pleased to introduce uh, my next guest. I'm gonna pronounce his name correctly, but I think for a lot of listeners they might not. Hadman Fafir, welcome to the show. How's it, man? How's yeah it? <laughs> how's it that's also another south african one i absolutely love it yeah Hanman, yeah i first i first must get out the gates the fact that not well, two things really the first was we chatted last year when i was um balls deep in the in the shitcoin rag world and <laughs> you were very gracious for your time we had a nice long chat i remember it was late for you and you, you kind of you know set aside some time there and I just found myself unable to ever get that through the editorial process. They were more focused on NFTs, you know, and SBF yeah. legend. So it was a real wreck. <laughs> and so I'm really pleased that you've agreed to do this for a second time. And I'm sorry if you might have to, I guess, repeat one or two things. But, um, and then also, you know, my scheduling techniques are, leave much to be desired so i'm glad we finally have managed to make this work so stoked to have you on herman as a sort of brief kind of intro did you want to maybe just give the listeners like a high level overview as to who you are um i obviously know quite a bit about you know your role within bitcoin akasi and the surfer kids but maybe you just want to paint that little story for for those who perhaps don't know necessarily what you who you are and what you get up to uh, yeah, cool, man. High level overview. It basically, 
I've been running a little nonprofit organization since 2010. I'm the co-founder. My wife and I started the organization. It's called the Surf Kids Nonprofit. Uh, we essentially started the, the organization at the same time as we started a business in the tourism industry, specifically in the surf tourism industry in South Africa. Yeah, I've been running that organization and uh, it's been, yeah, it's been 13 years, coming, coming up on 13 years at the end of this year. Yeah, and then at some point during COVID, um, during during the lockdowns, you know, the Surfy Kids just, uh, I, I just, for various reasons, decided to to flip the organization onto a Bitcoin standard, essentially, um, and to use the organization to start an an, an additional project, uh, which is Bitcoin Ekasi. And uh, Bitcoin Ekasi is basically just an effort to pay all salaries for people who work for the Surfy Kids in Bitcoin um and and to try and start a bitcoin circular economy uh by doing that so it's it's the salaries of the coaches who work for the surfing kids that form the core of of what you know powers the circular economy in the township and the surfing kids operates in a township it's a, it's a very poor area outside Mossel bay which is a relatively large town in south africa and yeah, i mean any, anyone familiar with the south african situation would know what that means but for international audiences, basically a slum. And so we get kids from there and, you know, we teach them surfing as a way to 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 get them to do something constructive. And I basically manage the organization. Um, we have a, we're a team of, of, of 12, 12 people now, 12, 13 people. So it's, it's a pretty small organization, but uh, yeah, it's very exciting. It's, and it's inspired by Bitcoin Beach. So in, in, anyone familiar with the Bitcoin Beach story, that's pretty much what we do, except, you know, adjusted for a local you know local context wow yeah that's a great story and i'm actually i didn't realize there were so many people kind of full-time working within the um in the nonprofits. i mean that's that's quite amazing how does the actual nonprofit itself fund itself is it through i mean i'm assuming donations but where are they coming from so about about half of that team works full-time the other half works works part-time so full-time we have six six seven people uh working full-time and then part-time is another five or so the organization is it's a donation-based non-profit um so the surfy kids has been a registered uh non-profit since 2014 it's, it's a tax-exempt donation-based non-profit so in order to to maintain its tax exemption status most of the income has to be donation-based there's no sort of we, we can't really engage in 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 um in income generating trading activities, or we, we risk losing that that uh, that tax exempt status. So, cool. yeah, it's, it's donation based. We have in the past played with the idea of of you know doing more sort of trading like business activities to fund the organization. But I've always come back to to the to the donation based model because I find that the initial aim was to you know do something for the kids, and the more we focused on trading income, the more it takes the focus away from the children. So. We just always came back to the to the donation-based model. And, you know, I think that there's room for, for organizations that rely on charity and other people's generosity. I know a lot of people have a issue have issues with charity and I understand why, but I think I think if a nonprofit can stay small and nimble and don't spend large amounts of money on overheads and administration and so on, then then it makes sense. Because most I mean, most of the money that gets donated to the organization literally ends up with the kids that we're trying to empower because we don't have a massive overhead and we don't plan on growing the organization bigger than what it is at the moment 
for the most part, donations were from private individuals until Bitcoin Ekasi sort of started gaining notoriety. We, we, we got a bit of a wider reach. And so the last year, uh, we have seen a lot more support coming from um, from influencers in the in the Bitcoin space. We have seen support coming from some companies. There's been some very generous donations from from some of the large companies in 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 Bitcoin. And fantastic, yeah. And I think, yeah, that's 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 basically that's basically how how it goes. I mean, it's I think people appreciate appreciate the effort and and we're trying to encourage adoption and and we're trying to build a a, a sort of a model for what's possible yeah so it's a kind of a, it's a kind of a testing ground in a way you know absolutely yeah and it's that kind of in a sense it's also that first mover advantage you know you could almost equate what you're doing to something like what peter mccormick's doing with bedford in the sense of trying to, you know, he's trying to put his football team on a, on a on a Bitcoin standard. And then here in Australia, the Perth Heat have done something similar, but it's a way of getting more eyeballs on, on an issue that really matters. And what I've also found just in my engagements with the Bitcoin community over the last couple of years is that they do tend to be very keen and willing to support good causes. And I think to the point you were raising earlier, like a lot, a lot of people have that sort of innate distrust of uh, large charitable organizations because mm-hmm. you, you know you, you might be you, you're hoping that you're actually impacting like real individuals lives but you might just be funding all the administration and overheads as you say so i think that's pretty exciting so let's let's talk now about now you you're paying these salaries to the to the uh, employees um, and I also know you've got the, the sort of orange pool efforts. Maybe you've got your kind of orange pool foot soldiers, if you like, trying to orange pool folks in the community so that they can actually create a little circular economy amongst themselves. I know you've got like, um, you've got a barber and then uh, I guess the equivalent of like a little uh, corner shop or cafe that's involved. How, how do you get that message across to that sort of demographic as opposed to if I was trying to sell it to like a high net worth individual, I'd be like talking about, you know, um, digital gold or something like that. But how does one distill it into something that resonates with, I guess, people from those sorts of backgrounds? I mean, personally, my most of my time is spent is spent managing the staff of the organization. And about half of them are focused on Bitcoin adoption in the community. Whereas the other half is focused on the program that we run for kids down at the beach. And so, but, but all of them are getting paid in Bitcoin. So most of my time is spent actually either, either managing the organization, which is literally like just managing people, you know, strategizing and and going, going forward and, and, and handing out instructions and, and that, and that sort of thing. And, and, and the other half of my time is sort of, spend trying to trying to foster bitcoin education amongst the staff and and they are then the ones who go out and orange pull the community so to speak i don't actually mm-hmm. spend time going around the community talking to shop owners we have staff men, members who do that who whose whose role it is to to go around to the shops and support them i mean what one of the important reasons for that is you know i mean in, in the south african context it's you know, it's, it's just one of those harsh realities that, you know, I'm I'm an outsider in in this community in my own country, and and that's the and that's the segregated nature of South Africa. 
it's sort of a hangover from from the apartheid regime and it's not something that that's going to disappear anytime soon one might as well acknowledge it because it is what it is but the fact of the matter is that i can't just walk into a township and and be taken at face value people are gonna people are gonna want to um extract value from me because they see a walking atm you know a walking cash machine basically and and that's just mm. the reality and it's not you know so but more important than that really is that empowerment has to come from from within and so my approach has always been to to try and educate a select few people and then have them uplift the rest of the community through education so i've i very carefully select the coaches that i work with and then those coaches go out into the community particularly the 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 one coach that i've been working with the longest uh, which is lutando um he's the one that onboarded most of the shops and so obviously we've spent a lot of time talking about it and and the way the way he does that the way he sells bitcoin to those shops compared to the way i would sell bitcoin to a high net worth individual is you know, I, I would talk about ideology and problems that are in the future, but that one can recognize today. Mm. Things like inflation or asset confiscation or those types of things. Those are problems that are not affecting a high net worth individual today, but they are problems that might affect a high net worth individual further down the line. Whereas when Lutando goes into the township, he's addressing problems that are in that person's reality right here right now he's not talking about stuff that might become a problem further down the line mm. and it's things that we it's, it's things that we might consider small um for example you know we had we had an incident let's say about two weeks ago where one of the uh one of the people that we've onboarded in the township who has now started using bitcoin slowly but surely he discovered that he could buy a voucher with bitcoin from his phone using bitrefill which he could then upload onto his favorite sports gambling website where he could then gamble on the soccer or whatever, you know? And for him, this was a massive revelation because previously he always had to take cash out of his uh, little box where he kept it in his shack. He had to walk to the nearest corner store. He had to physically go and buy a paper voucher, which he could then bring back to his shack and then go on and bet. And so you know having having a having a digital form of money eliminated that having to walk back and forth physically with a piece of paper in his hand it it means yeah. he could do it from home which is much safer because walking around the township is with cash especially yeah. it's not something that you know there, there's the risk of being robbed is exponentially higher yeah. in in yeah. a community like that and so these are problems that people have right now and that's really how Lutando has onboarded shops. He's basically just demonstrated what he, what you can do with Bitcoin, and people have gone, "Hey, I really want to do that." You know, it's oh. not, there's there's not much there's not much ideology um, in their conversation. Yeah, it, it's almost as if it just works. You know what I mean? It's it's fulfilling some sort of yeah. role, and it just yeah, and and it's plugging some sort of gap that exists. Um, yeah. As opposed to the idea of having to persuade someone as to the merits and the risks and the benefits and the network effect and uh, you know the you know the you know the difficulty adjustment and all this kind of stuff like that's all kind of irrelevant in yeah. that context. And what you were saying earlier about being an outsider, you know, I think for anyone who's listening, I, I mean, it's it's something that I say to people pretty regularly, and you know, I always I wouldn't say always, but let's say from at least 
say 2016, 17 started feeling as a distinct outsider in my, you know, the country of my own uh, birth where I just felt like um, I couldn't relate to all the issues that were going on. And I was just coming from a privileged position on the outside. And, you know, you, as you said earlier, like you can just walk into like a bar or a cafe there and go, Hey guys, by the way, I've got something that could really protect your purchasing power. Cause the RAND's going to shit. You know, they'll be like, who's this guy? Like, what does this Lungu want? <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah. you know, and it's, you, you need people who have already got that trust and those relationships to be able to do it. You can't have an outsider come in and persuade. So I think that's actually quite, that's quite interesting. Now, the question that I always would ask somebody who's engaged in these circular economies, I mean, there's two things that spring to mind, but let's start with the first is how do they actually deal with the volatility issue? I mean, it, it, presumably if you're getting paid in Bitcoin and all your goods and services are in Bitcoin, then it's not the end of the world. But let's say for like, um, I mean, the shopkeeper himself, as an example, if he's buying bread, he needs to go and get, uh, he's going to be accepting Bitcoin. And then he's got to go and buy bread in fiat and then bring it to the shop. And there's that, you know, his margins could be compressed or blown out depending on what's happening with Bitcoin at the time. So, I mean, how's that, how's that actually played out, you know, in real life? I mean, it's, it's, it's very simple, really. It's, I think, and 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 I've kind of I've kind of said this from from the very beginning, like the volatility of Bitcoin is one of the reasons why I didn't want to grow this project massively. Uh, when I say grow massively, it's like on the ground, you know, the number of shops we have on board, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. Uh, obviously, obviously, the project has gotten quite a bit of reach on social media and so on, and for that I'm very grateful. But the reality is that on the ground, it's a very small project, and. By keeping it small, we we protect people against volatility because, for example, look, well, first of all, let's let's talk about the coaches. The coaches, the, the staff that work for the surfing kids, they earn 100% of their salary in Bitcoin. But obviously, the amounts that they earn is tied to a RAND value, uh, which mm -hmm. is the local fiat currency. So, so when a new person approaches us, we'll say, well, look, this is the salary. It's X amount of RAND per week but you'll get paid the equivalent amount of sats on a weekly basis. So because it's paid weekly and because they spend most of their sats uh, pretty quickly because we don't pay massive salaries, the volatility isn't so much of an issue. I mean, we had a recent price drop, I think it was last week through the course of last week of around mm. 10%. Yeah. Um, maybe even, it was more than that actually, more, more than 10%. So a significant drop in price. When I paid their salaries Monday, two weeks ago, they received X number of sats, which was equivalent to, to an X rand value. And the following week after the price drop, they received a completely different amount of sats adjusted for the Bitcoin price. Mm -hmm. um, and and so every week they are they're they're essentially receiving a stable value in local fiat terms, but it's being paid in Bitcoin. And yeah. so the volatility doesn't affect them week to week. You know, there they might be three days between a, let's say, let's say four day, three, four days between a Thursday or a Friday and next week, Monday, where they'll see a drop in price. But then as soon as they get paid again on the following Monday, you know, the amount of sats they receive is adjusted back up or down, depending on what happened with Bitcoin price. Yeah. So the volatility doesn't affect the coaches too badly. Obviously, if they're saving long term, then then you know that that's going to affect them because i do encourage that they save uh we have at least half of our staff members saving for the long term in bitcoin 
Awesome. But there we all know long long term the volatility is to the upside. You know, year on year, Bitcoin has a pretty solid track record. And if it's sort of medium term spending within the month, next month or so, then there's all kinds of stable stable um, coin features that they could that they could look at. Um, you know, there's a stable sats in the Bitcoin Beach wallet. Mm-hmm. Um, but the shop owners, the shop owners are the ones who accept the real volatility risk, as you pointed out you know, with margins being squeezed. And and the thing is about keeping the project small is that, you know, it's only a small amount of a shop's turnover that's coming in in Bitcoin because we have 11 people getting paid in Bitcoin and we've got about 12 shops on board, but there's 5,000 people living in the township. Yeah. So it's not, it's not as if the shops are receiving 70% of their turnover in Bitcoin. They're receiving maybe 1% to 2% of their turnover in Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, and so a, 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 a price drop is not exactly going to bankrupt the shop owner or make a massive impact. And the ones that do stay on board, they see they see the volatility as as an opportunity because they've seen the price go down, but they've also seen the price go up again. Mm. Um, and and so they, they kind of go, well, OK, this can obviously go both ways. So, you know, we do lose some shops, but then we get other shops on board and the ones that stay on board, I mean, the first shop that we onboarded has been with on board on board for two years. We've been buying with her for two years. She's seen the price go from pre bull market uh, levels to the at the height of the bull market to the lowest lows we had a couple of months ago, back up to where it is now. And mm. and she's been on board throughout all of that. So and for her, this is a massive opportunity to to save for the long term. She saved more than anyone else. Wow, um, that's amazing. So, so you can get that point across that actually, like, if 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 the whether it's the coach receiving a salary, whether it's the shop vendor getting Bitcoin, if they're able to retain a portion of that income or earnings uh, in Bitcoin, actually, it's more advantageous to actually uh, see a price drop. You get more sats at the end of the day. And if they understand the concept of in a way, stacking right. sats for the long run, it's actually, it, they get more bang for buck, uh, as it were. Uh, the other thing I was just thinking as well is, uh, and I totally agree with you, by the way, on you know, keeping it relatively small, because what I think a few people actually realize, at least from a developed world kind of perspective, is, you know, the, the vast majority of people, um, particularly in townships and that sort of thing, they are not really even capable of saving. Like, they're literally living, you know, with sort of income equals expenses, if that, you know, they might have literally a negative situation so it's very hard to see how at a mass scale in light of the fact that you've got high levels of unemployment and all these kinds of things that you would be able to have just bitcoin just being as the you know the unit of accounts and medium of exchange writ large i think it makes sense to keep it on a relatively contained basis you know at least while it's highly volatile and then over time you can slowly but surely grow it i mean you could almost say the last six months have been, I think the last six months, I saw an article about three, three weeks ago or so that said actually Bitcoin has been less volatile than S&P 500. So you're actually kind of like, because it, it, it was just sitting between, it's like at 30K. I mean, now I think it's about 26, you know, at the time of recording. But anyway, okay. So that's the volatility side. Uh, because it is the show that it is, the why Bitcoin show and this the whole show, I haven't even told you, but the whole show kind of um, originated from the torturous uh, experience I had at Two Shit Coin Rags. But I learned a lot, and it was um, it was a great it was a great way to really further entrench my 
toxic maximalism. One thing I have concerns about, obviously, when it comes to sort of developing nations and then coming across things like Bitcoin is all the grifters and all the shit coins that cloud the waters or muddy the waters. And it's really, from my perspective, it's disheartening because they've got endless amounts of marketing dollars and they really are, it's ultimately good Bitcoiners on the ground that are slowly but surely trying to market and build this thing. And then you've got shitcoiners like Charles Hodgkinson and all these kind of folks flying to Africa. And, you know, so that's a little bit of my rant over, but how, how have you uh, witnessed crypto as opposed to Bitcoin, um, at least uh, with the project that you described? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's, that's a very important question. Uh, but it's like one of the central questions for me. Just, just one last point on that question of, um, you know, saving in Bitcoin and, Unemployment being massively high in the townships, you know, youth mm. un youth unemployment in South Africa is sixty two percent. General unreal. unemployment, it, yeah, no, it's unreal, man. And 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 the general level of unemployment, I think we're over thirty five percent now. So, but the thing that excites me most about this project, and and this has been like sort of for the last six to eight months, I would say, is I don't want to orange pull that entire township, but what I would like to do is, and and this is busy happening is I would like to see, you know, there's about three senior coaches that are saving in Bitcoin, maybe four of them, and saving significant significant amounts in Bitcoin. And let's say maybe six, six business owners that are saving significant amounts of Bitcoin. That's about 10 people, right? Mm. Um, in a township of, in, in a township of 5,000 people, that's not a lot. It's, it's not, I mean, it's a small, small, small minority. But what I would like to see is if we go through the next bull market, what impact does that have on the mentality of those 10 people, right? Because it's sort of like winning the lottery, but very, very, very slowly. And in the <laughs> process of winning the lottery, you're learning a lot. You know, you're you're learning the value of long-term commitment. You're learning the value of saving and accumulating capital. You're learning the value of personal responsibility. You're learning all these things in the process of becoming wealthy slowly but surely it's not something that happens overnight you know this is what mm. most people get wrong about bitcoin you don't you don't get wealthy overnight you get wealthy over the course of 10 15 years if you if you do the right thing but you could just as easily lose everything so it's a very valuable life lesson i would like to see what impact does the next two to three maybe five four to five years have on the mentality of those 10 people that are saving significant amounts of bitcoin and then i'd like to see if there's the positive mentality change that i know is possible because I've seen it in myself and I've seen it in other people. What impact does that have on the, you know, 50 to 100 to 200 people around those 10 people? And then mm. how does that spread out? How does that spread out in a ripple effect? And 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 that that that's what excites me most about this project. And it and it comes back to saving in Bitcoin and saving for the long term. With regards to why, to why that's Bitcoin, so sorry, that, that, sorry um, to interrupt there, but Hammond, that is that's that's fantastic. I, I'll tell you that I couldn't agree more. That is a super way to think about it because it's bitcoin is all about you know sustainable growth and it's and, and, I'm, and I'm definitely going to be asking you some questions about like you know how you, what you've sort of learned from bitcoin on a personal level and and you were touching on some of those themes there and so it changes you as an individual and then you spread that amongst your acquaintances and i think the numbers like the dunbar numbers like 150 you can only really keep up with like 150 humans so you think about if each of those 10 people maybe there's a degree of overlap you think about how they over the next decade 
let's say, or five years ago, like, this is what I've done. This is how I've changed my life for these reasons. Oh, I think it, I think that's how it all grows. And yeah, I, I think there's a lots of, re- there's lots of reasons to be optimistic. So anyway, just wanted to chime in yeah. there, but let's, uh, let's talk crypto. Tell me about your crypto story. Well, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I went through a crypto phase like everyone else. You know, my, 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 my first Bitcoin wallet was a, a Bitcoin core full node back in 2013. And um, when Ethereum came out a year and a half later, I was like, okay, cool. So, you know, now you've got Bitcoin and now you've got Ethereum and, you know, they're going to do different things. It's going to be so exciting. And so let me run an Ethereum node. And I tried that and it didn't work. Trying, trying to set up an Ethereum node crashed my computer. And it was the same computer I was using to run a Bitcoin node. So I was like, well, this just seems odd. I should be able to run a full node. Otherwise, what's the point, right? It's not a decentralized network if I, if I can't run a node, right? So that's kind of where I started questioning the whole like world computer thing. But it was very early days. I had a whole bunch of shit coins that I was holding on to until, you know, seven years later in 2020. And and that's sort of when I got rid of all of them. And I was just like, there's just no way I can keep up with this. Like the number of, I mean, I I, I hardly have enough time to understand the, the intricacies of Bitcoin and Lightning. I just, I just can't keep up with, with, you know, with, with, uh, with the 70 or 80 different cryptos that I was trying to figure out which ones are going to go up, which ones are going to go like, it's just, you know, it's just not possible. So it was a very pragmatic decision at that time. So like, fuck all of it, yeah. sell everything, just put everything into Bitcoin and, and, and dedicate myself and commit myself and, you know, sort of focus, singular focus on, on one really important project and, and, and let the rest of the shit figure itself out. Um, because to be honest with you, like, I think after enough time, anyone is going to become disillusioned with project after project after project that promises that promises the world and delivers nothing. You know, even even Ethereum itself, like I, I just don't see what exactly has it delivered. Like it's changed, it's changed course so many times. And most of the hype cycles, there's always something different happening on Ethereum. I want to focus on something that I know what I'm focused on for the next, you know, 10 years, 15 years. I don't, I don't want to constantly reorient myself in terms of what, what is the goal? Like, and, and, and Bitcoin has a massive, massive task ahead of it. It's got, you know, we're talking about, you know, about replacing, replacing the dollar as the world reserve asset, basically. I mean, that's essentially where we're going. That's a massive, massive task. It's not like you're not, you're not going to bring down you're not going to you're not going to bring down that beast by by pricking it with a thousand um toothpicks you know mm-hmm. you, you you're going to bring down that beast by 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 picking up the biggest fucking sword you can find and chopping its head off and yeah. so that's the way i look at it you know like i i just i don't see the point in having and and besides like from from an educational perspective i mean if, if I'm out there dealing with the coaches, it's been two years that we, we, we've been running this project and we're barely scratching the surface of how Bitcoin actually works. Mm. Like you don't have to understand the technicalities to start using it. Like hardly anyone understands how how an operating system works underneath the hood, but everybody, everybody's using a PC. Yeah. So you don't have to understand the technicalities, but I'd like to... I'd like to have the project, you know, based in education. I mean, education is is everything. It's the bedrock, you know, it's the mm-hmm. foundation. Like without that, you've got nothing. And so 
after two years, we're barely scratching the surface of Bitcoin's technicalities. I mean, there, there's just no room for for going on about crypto this, crypto that. It's just you, it, you just don't have don't have that kind of room. And I think people, I think people who who have room for that, like I respect them. I mean, if you if you can understand the technicalities of Ethereum, Bitcoin, Cardano, Ripple, if if you can grasp all of those things on a technical level, good for you. You've got a very clever mind, but you live in a techno bubble because 99% of people don't have the capacity or the bandwidth to do that. And you just can't expect them to do that. And throwing a thousand different cryptos at them is actually irresponsible because you cannot, you don't have a hope in hell of educating them about even the first one properly. I mean, mm. you know, that alone is a massive task. And I speak from experience, like it's, it's a massive challenge teaching people on the ground how Bitcoin actually works on a technical level. Yeah. Yeah, I, t I totally agree, man. And um, yeah, it's crypto has always got these shiny new objects and it's always got like this new feature or this new thing, but it's not really obvious to me what problems they're solving and they they aren't decentralized, as you say, um, you know, decentralized in name alone um, or, you know, there's really... There's no real there there for the most part when I think about it. And for the average person, it's it they do so well just stay the hell away. And um, I try my best. But unfortunately, a lot of people still believe, you know, they're late on Bitcoin, but hey, you know, there's dog money or some other thing. And you know, to an extent, I think as part of Bitcoin again, you mentioned earlier, personal responsibility. Like, you know, you know, take control of your life, man. If you want to dabble in that bullshit it's up to you i mean you know i i met this um this poor woman at a uh adelaide um, bitcoin meetup uh some time back and she clearly was going through some personal drama and she went all in on doge on a, a self-managed super fund which is a pension fund that she had like administers and i just thought like what level of analysis was going on there like i'm sure it's just like it's like literally it's there's that there's that clip um from american hodl which is just like crypto's nihilism it's like i'm either going to drive a lamborghini or i'm going to be fucking homeless because i don't know what it does i don't care if it's vaporware but I, i'm just going to go for it and you know the reality is most of the time it doesn't work out so yeah i i'm i'm so grateful to be out of that space and putting all my energy into something that actually matters that's money sound money and not all the the, the the fake currencies i mean i don't even want to call them currencies because they they're more like you know they call them projects here in australia they're companies man so anyway like i don't want to whinge about crypto anymore um i'd love to dive now a little bit into kind of um why you are so passionate about bitcoin in particular i've read and and heard interviews elsewhere where you've talked about how it's changed your life in other respects and I think this is something that resonates with a lot of people, myself included, obviously. Um, I'd love to hear, you know, what it's done for you on a personal level. Um, and feel free to share as much or as little as you like. Yeah, I think um, on, on a personal level, on a personal level, Bitcoin, I kind of, how can I put it, almost like pivoted towards the 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 ethos of Bitcoin at the same time as discovering that. Uh, because and it's it sounds it sounds maybe strange to say that but what what i'm trying to say is that in in 2013 two very important things happened more or less at the same time 
I, I walk into my first um, uh, meeting um, as a recovering addict in 2013, and I was introduced to Bitcoin at the same time. And so the basic, the basis for recovery from addiction, and, and this is the one thing that matters more than anything else, and it's the difference between people who are able to live, or it's a difference between addicts who are able to live clean and addicts who are not able to live clean. And that is, that is taking responsibility for your own problem. There's no one else that can fix that problem for you. There's no amount of, you know, nagging by parents or spouses or friends or family that's going to get you to 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 live clean if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, you you either want it or you don't. You either take responsibility for it or you don't. And and I walked into that meeting desperate to stay clean. I tried everything to to quit <laughs> on my own. Uh, it didn't really work. And through exposure to to this sort of these principles and i mean the program is based on 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 these very like really valuable almost like life principles one one can almost call them spiritual principles it is it is a very spiritual program and it's got these deep deep roots in all kinds of um spiritual traditions but it's not a religious program at all there is no there is no dogma every person who walks into that meeting is able to decide for themselves how to how to discover the principles and it can take you it can take you two days it can take you 10 years it took me four years Mm. um before i eventually you know sort of grasped it but the point is that i walked into this into this meeting and i found the same thing there that i found in the bitcoin ethos which is personal responsibility you know that's that's what it's all about you know you are never going to you know what what what's that what's that saying I forget the saying, but it it's something it's something along the lines of, you know, bad people ignore laws and and good people don't need them. You know, if 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 you're a conscientious person, if you're a responsible person, you don't need an external authority to tell you what is the right and the wrong thing to do. And if you're not a conscientious, not a responsible person, no amount of external authority is going to stop you from doing a bad thing. Mm. So at the end of the day, it all comes down to personal responsibility, you know, and I, and, and, and I've even, even pre-Bitcoin, it just kind of, because of my, my exposure to this program, well, not pre-Bitcoin, but in the very, very early days of my Bitcoin journey, it just, it just kind of like made intuitive sense to me. Like, you know, th- this is one of the reasons why the world is in such a mess um, because we as a civilization, we as a species are dependent on external authority to tell us what to do and how to live. And that's never going to work not in a million years are you going to be able to run a civilization successfully by relying on external authority. You're either going to live in chaos, which is what we have now, or you're going to find a way to teach people uh, personal responsibility from the day they are born. And then you have a hope of creating a civilization that actually works. And so, you know, Bitcoin just kind of like cemented that for me. Like I can, I can, I can articulate it a lot more clearly now and you know whereas in the beginning it just it just felt like an intuitive sort of understanding yeah and um, bitcoin helped me but bitcoin helped me to to put that into into very real practical terms because it tackles it tackles this irresponsibility in one very particular material way and so you know if if you talk about it purely from a personal responsibility perspective it might sound very ethereal and you know non-tangible but whereas if you talk about it in terms of bitcoin it's like well this is what they're doing they're printing money 
it doesn't work it's going to end in tears this is the solution it's a sound hard money this is the difference between the two so it, it just helped me articulate these ideas but at the end of the day i see i see the underlying basis as a sort of a spiritual understanding and that understanding comes down to a very simple set of principles and I think that entire set of principles can be summarized in one sentence or two words, which is personal responsibility. Like, yeah. That's what it comes down to at the end of the day. And, you know, you gotta, you gotta extrapolate from there. Like you cannot just every single problem say personal responsibility. Like you, you gotta, you know, you gotta, you gotta have to extrapolate from there. But I think everything that you need to, to live a, a productive, healthy um, constructive life can be extrapolated from that from that basic understanding and and so bitcoin is just really but bitcoin is like one of the one of the sort of motivators along that path bitcoin and then recovery from drug addiction those two things those two things are both two different forces pushing me in a similar direction if i can put it mm -hmm. that way. got you that's that's an awesome story man and um it's like, yeah, it's almost like personal responsibility is the starting point for addressing many of the challenges in your life. You've got to first own them and be real and introspective and go, this is actually what's going on. And I, I'm gonna, I'll put a link in the, in the show notes. And if I find it, I'll, I'll DM you. I love this little rant by American Hoddle. He goes, no one's going to step in and save you. You've got to step in and save you kind of thing. So it's like, you know, in the context yeah. of Bitcoin, it's about extreme self-ownership and, and, and personal responsibility. You know, you're your own bank, you know, and um, you've yeah. got to take control of your own keys. And in the context of, yeah, of life, like there's just, there seems to be this pervasive feeling amongst, uh, and this is why there's perhaps a lot of nihilism where it's just like, people refusing to take responsibility for their lives. Like, you know, I, I feel bad for people that are like clinically obese, you know, it's, it's clearly a sign that things aren't great, but you know, it, it, you, I, you know, see these videos of these influencers bitching and whining because they can't get two seats next to each other. They want special treatment because they've just, you know, eaten a lot more because they've got other things going on in their life. And you're like, you know, get a fucking grip, man. Like look inwards. Like, you know, we, what happens if we all did that? And mm. yeah. And I've been having more conversations, you know, with regards to things like, um, I actually just had a conversation yesterday of people on social welfare and you acknowledge the need to have a safety net. And however you find in many developed countries, it's actually abuse, you know, because people just don't want to take responsibility for their life. So it's such an awesome thing to hear how it's changed in a dramatic sense. And I honestly can say the exact same thing. It fills me with a lot of hope. I have something that's, you know, it sounds a little, it sounds a bit, um, it, it's, the thing's becoming a bit trite, but this bright orange light that sort of, you know, we're moving towards, uh, you know, Bitcoin is hope kind of thing. And yeah, I think personal responsibility lies at the at the core of that. Um, so the last thing I want to touch on there, Herman, before we roll today is I know you, you cats there have been working on a conference that's up and coming. And yeah, I, I, I got some whispers of it just by virtue of being in a, in a little in a group. And I was like, Oh God, I can't believe this. The first Bitcoin conference in Africa. 
tell, tell us a little bit about what that is and um yeah kind of how that's how that sort of originated what's the story behind africa's first proper bitcoin conference well i mean i just first of all i would say that it's 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 not the it's not the first proper one on the continent there was a there was a very solid uh, Africa Bitcoin conference in Ghana last year in in Accra, and I was fortunate enough to attend. And oh, there, there we go. Was... So I look like a total fool. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> there we go. Maybe no, no, I just no, no. I'm just hometown bias. I love Cape Town. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's 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 the first one. I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. It's hard to say who who is first um because they have there have been other bitcoin conferences in south africa before some of them more crypto than than bitcoin but i you know and and, and there and there are so many bitcoin conferences around the world you know you could you could probably travel to a different conference every single week if you had the money and the time to do that and you would be able to literally go to a conference every single week that's how many conferences there are around the world so mm-hmm. But what what we are trying to do with with this conference is a little different. So we we wanted to try and create something unique, you know, to obviously differentiate it from all the other conferences out there. And I think South Africa finds itself in a in a relatively unique situation, where you know you have a you have a relatively developed country. It's not it's not it's not completely developed. Obviously, it's still a developing country, but. Mm-hmm. What what is happening in South Africa is you have a situation where where government institutions are sort of retreating, you know, and and the most obvious example that we see is the electricity situation, where in mm. South Africa all electricity are generated by a government owned a government owned enterprise. ESCOM is completely government owned. They are the only people who who can sell. Well, they they own the grid. They own the entire national grid. So. No one, you can't just come in, generate electricity and and sell it, you know, because ESCOM has this monopoly over the national grid, but they are falling apart. It's because they are falling apart that we are experiencing this thing called load shedding where they switch off parts of the grid because they can't generate enough electricity to to service the economy. And and so that that's one example. There's South African Airways, which is a a, a government owned airline, which is also falling apart. And and there are there are examples of entire municipalities in South Africa, where the municipality is just you know disappearing. There are parts of the country where there's no longer any police patrols on the highways, and trucks are getting hijacked and stopped and burnt, and because you know it's a uh, it's sort of like a wild west type situation and it mm. wasn't always like that so because of corruption things have been getting progressively worse over the last 10 years you know after the after after the de- democratic elections for the first 10 years or so i'd say things were going pretty well there's a lot of optimism but now mm. with with the sort of slow collapse in government private individuals uh, civil society organizations are stepping in all right and so there's a lot of this happening in the country, and we want to we want to we want to bring those people who are stepping in and filling the role of traditional government institutions. We want to bring them together with Bitcoiners from around the world, because I think those two those two groups can benefit from one another. The people mm. who are building parallel institutions in South Africa, the the people who are developing private highway patrols, the people who are you know taking over municipalities with privately run municipalities because otherwise it becomes gangster's paradise those people are going to have to not going to have to but it would be of great benefit to them to learn more about bitcoin mm. a lot of them are already 
very much into Bitcoin, but they're not public about it yet. Okay. You know, because there's there's some hesitancy about you know all the stigma surrounding Bitcoin. It's for drug dealers. It's for criminals. Blah blah blah. So those people, if we can bring them together from Bitcoiners from around the world, they can benefit. South African can benefit because I believe those builders of parallel institutions need Bitcoin. And I think Bitcoiners from around the world can learn from these people because as Bitcoiners in the rest of the world, you know, like what's happening in South Africa is essentially going to happen everywhere else. I mean, every government that is printing its way into oblivion this is what's coming, right? I mean, where where is the where is the United States of America heading? Like, it's not going to happen tomorrow. It's not going to happen no. next year. But eventually, like, eventually, something's got to give, right? And Absolutely. then people are going to go, you know. And and then what's going to happen then? Well, if, then what's going to happen is private individuals or civil society organizations are going to have to step up to the plate and say, okay, we're going to step in where the government has stepped back. And so this is already happening in South Africa and Bitcoiners around the world love to talk about this, but it'd be great if we can bring them to South Africa and say, hey, look, there's people who are actually already doing this. And when the time comes, you could learn from them and they could learn from you. It's sort of like a win-win situation between those two groups. And, and, and that's what we want to bring together. We want to bring together Bitcoiners from around the world and from South Africa mm. with people who are building parallel institutions in South Africa. Awesome. That's great, man. I mean, I, I do agree with you in the sense of, you know, all countries are on a bit of a, I mean, the, the amount of debt we have, I had a chat yesterday with someone and, you know, global debts are like 92 trillion and something like 3.3 billion people live in countries where the interest payments on their debt are higher than the the amount the government spends on healthcare and um, education, as an example, do you know what I mean? Exactly. Um, it's always a case of like, who's the least worst in my mind? It's not as if like, there's a good one. I mean, maybe there's a couple that are trying, but um, you know, and, yeah. and I tend to look at Australia as like, it's one of the least worst in terms of directionally. Some people here who are born and bred in Australia would disagree, but I think it's actually relatively chilled. But we've actually had these discussions because I belong to a couple of different groups and we went to, we created something called the, um, well, there's a thing called the Bush Bash, uh, the Bitcoin Bush Bash. And we go to these remote towns and meet and talk. That's one thing. And then we created a little sub varietal called the Bush Bush Bash, where we go and camp in nature. And one of the things that came up in the, in the conversations is a uh, mate Brisket who pointed out was about building resiliency. It's, it's, you know, and, and, and this is something that people are starting to think about here, at least within the Bitcoin community. So I think the interests are very much aligned, as you say, like, um, you know, and we often find in meeting at these, you know, whether it's the Bitcoin Brisbane meetup or wherever, we, we don't often sit there talk. I mean, people would imagine just talking about price and stuff like that. It's like, no, we talk about all the other things, it's almost everything other than Bitcoin often. And resiliency and trying to i mean it was almost like the discussion really went something along the lines of like we don't ask for permission we just start and it's like there's all these laws about like okay you can't grow bananas on your land in australia as an example you need to apply for a permit to do that as an like uh, this is maybe in this particular state that i live in and so it was like people were just like i don't care i'm just gonna grow fucking bananas i want bananas and you know people just starting to 
try and create some resiliency. And then you got like people like, okay, I don't want to just start eating all this factory farm crap. Why don't we just start pulling our funds together and buying beef directly from the farmers? And there's a thing called the um, Australian Beef Initiative where they're trying to form that closer relationship between you know the the people who produce our food and actual consumers and and so you create some resiliency there get yourself a bloody deep freezer and um you know buy half a beast with a mate or you know you go harvey's and this is what people are doing here and it, it's kind of small scale and then you take south africa and people are like all right okay we've got holes in the roads let's fix that um we've got people coming oh, in yeah. and just breaking in non-stop we need private security and I saw it when I lived in Johannesburg. Uh, you know, it, it, this is something that no one in Australia could even fathom is the idea of like a gated community within a suburb. So, you know, the place I grew up in the East Rand, you can't even get into these streets anymore. And it's not as if it's like a proper security complex. It's like, no, there's booms and you need to like who you're going to and all this kind of thing with cameras. And I mean, yeah, the, the US, I mean, is a is another whole other story. It's um it's pretty sad to see what's happening. So I actually love that because all the conferences, you know, they they have it they have a different sort of flavor. And um that's a very interesting way to think about it in terms of like combining those industries and then also people uh, and freedom really. Um and uh, taking yeah. ownership and of your life because I mean, you can sit and bitch and moan about South Africa. Or you can actually talk to the people who are, you know, again, taking taking this into their own hands and saying, we're going to fix this ourselves because the government's useless. Yeah. I mean, South Africa is kind of like kind of like a little bit of a lens into the future for 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 many countries. And I've I've spoken. I've I've, I've not sorry, I've not, not not spoken. I've listened. Uh, I've listened to 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 quite a few podcasts recently where. Uh, what was the, I think it was uh, Parker Lewis, I was listening to not so long ago, last week, where he was talking about, I mean, there's no, there's no easy way to transition from one reserve asset to another. It's not a, it's, there's no, there's no, there's no pretty picture where default is, a, you know, sovereign debt defaults are a, a an easy situation. The, these things are going to be troubling times. Not, not that, not that I want them to be troubling times, but that that's just the reality. And you know, and so, and so, we are going to have to have civil society organizations, private individuals who are, how can I put it, trained in what to do when the state can no longer come in and mm. and and fulfill its function that it has fulfilled for so long. You know, and. I actually, I actually find I, I, I consider. I mean, South Africa has a lot of drawbacks, but I consider myself fortunate to be in a situation where I don't, I don't have this expectation to have the government come in and and provide, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I think, I think people who live in countries where that is almost assumed are going to have a harder time if and when the time comes where and i mean these things can change very quickly right you you, mm -hmm. you can have a situation where one day everything seems fine and the next day it's just like well sorry you know we, we can't there's, there's no i don't know there's there's no electricity or whatever there's no water there's no and then if if you if if you have a sort of a not not a preparedness mentality i, I don't like people who prepare for the end of the world but just a you have a mentality <laughs> that hey this is this is possible like 
this is not it's not off the table right and in yeah. south africa we we already know that it's, it's more, <laughs> more likely than not so yeah. we're kind of like kind of like prepared for that and be prepared for building alternatives um, you're two steps ahead basically and, of the lazy uh westerners who are just uh, very reliant <laughs> on government because because basically we've got yeah. a deep distrust of government and we recognize that they are just incapable of doing almost anything right and so we've got like a head yeah. start of almost 20 years of trying to do shit ourselves as opposed to people living in yes. the nanny states where you know they just yeah. used to like having everything handed on a platter uh, and um that's a very good yeah. point i actually haven't thought about that before it's 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 a it's a it's it's a it's a deep mistrust of of government but it's also a a mentality to go out and make a plan um mm. because there are they like what one of one of the things so i've i've spent a lot of my 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 wife is russian and so i've spent a lot of time working with russian tourists over the years because our, our business caters for russians primarily i mean we we kind of like entered the market at a good time there and so we didn't have much competition so over the years we've built quite a solid solid base as a as a destination for russian tourists and one of the things i one one of the things i i could identify with 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 my russian clientele was this distrust of government they have a i mean they've been fucked over so many times they don't trust government at all i mean but at the same time what what is what was different was that even though they distrust government there's there's also the sense but well well you know government has to build the roads who else is going to do it like you know we don't trust government but there is no alternative they have to do it whereas in south africa it's like well we don't trust government and there has to be an alternative because the government's not doing it mm, <laughs> um, yeah you know um so. i love what you were saying like you make a plan i actually have used this in a few podcasts a boot market plan uh you know if a farmer yeah. makes a plan just roughly translated like we just will find a way to get shit done when you, you you will run through brick walls to make things happen because nothing would happen without the private sector. And it's patently obvious. Yeah. And that's what makes me really, I mean, it makes me kind of sad in some respect because it's pretty sad yeah. to see what's happened to the country, but oh, in terms of like South Africans and their resilience and uh, determination and their ability to weather just endless, endless, just, it's it's not even it's not it's malgovernance it's not even malgovernance it's just like just it's a criminal enterprise just running the show it's just it, it's it's so sad but i i just love how south africans are able to remain optimistic and they just get shit done you know like i've i've spoken about escom and like you know eight to twelve hours a day in some cases you know i mean electricity okay well if you're privileged like you gotta go and make a plan you get solar you get inverters and you know, but people, people still, you know, live. I mean, things still happen. It's not as if the world stops. Whereas yeah. if you had no electricity in Australia for like six hours in a in a state, people would be losing their shit. So, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it's it is it is interesting. But yeah, that's I'm so stoked to hear that there's this conference coming up, and it does sound as if it's got like a unique flavor to it. Um, and there's just nothing more exciting than also spending time with real bitcoiners i personally would love to make the mission i'm not too sure if i'm going to be able to do it there's just so many things i want to do for the remainder of this year and next year we've got we've got a a conference circuit here in australia called the the bush bash i'll tell you about it another time but um, i try to get to those as much as possible it's almost like my it's a triannual gathering 
and it's almost like going to church bitcoin church you just hang out with your bitcoin brothers and sisters and just and connect and chat and you just feel so like um rejuvenated afterwards i'm sure the same will be happening there in cape town yeah i think uh, that's all i have uh, for you today i'm i've really appreciated your time and thanks again for like um doing this a second time i promise this is going to get published um because i'm the boss of my show (laughs) yeah um, no no stress man it's all good awesome uh did you want to maybe give the uh the listeners and viewers maybe like a little handoff as to where they can find you follow you and what i also like you to do is separately send me a dm with um bitcoin and cassie's lightning wallet um so if anybody wants to support the show they can just do a quick zap cool not the show, uh, yeah, sorry, the projects. No, I got I got that. Yeah, we've got it. We've got a website, bitcoinikasi.com. Um, otherwise we are on Twitter. Uh, the handle is at bitcoinikasi. And I'm spending more time on Noster. So we are we are on Noster as well. You know, for what it's worth, you know, since being introduced to Bitcoin way back then and having seen so many shitcoin projects come and go some of them still around Noster is the first time i feel the same sort of enthusiasm for something that is bitcoin related from a technological perspective i don't know why i can't explain it i'm not technical enough but it just it just feels like the trajectory the tra- trajectory that bitcoin has seen over the last sort of you know 13 14 15 years like that's what's going to happen with Noster because it's solving a real problem like there's bitcoin there's 20,000 shit coins, which are all irrelevant. And then there's Noster, which is relevant. Mm. <laughs> kind of, you know, see, see that that's, that's how I feel about it. Um, I, I think, um, so I'm spending more time on Noster, but I have no idea how to give you that handle because it's this long fucking string of letters <laughs> and numbers. Ditto. I also like, uh, I've um, been, uh, shout out to Matt Adele, who's been promoting it. I also am wearing a Citadel Dell hat there. Shout out to yeah. Reezy who hooked me up at the Bush Bush Bash. But Nasta, as far as I can tell, is going to almost be this interoperable social media thing where you can just message people across platforms. So, you know, yeah. the interface can be whatever the hell it can be, but it will be this base protocol and you'll own your own data and not all the Web3 phony bullshit, but like actually yeah. really, and it's all done with cryptography and, you know, yeah. The, when I was just from my perspective, when someone said, okay, you're, you know, if you're on Facebook and you want to message someone on Twitter and you can't, well, here's a protocol you can, so that, you know, we if we're all in this Nostra protocol, that's how we can make it happen. That's how emails from Gmail can go to Outlook, you know. It, yeah. Anyway, but I'm not technical, but it it, it sounds <laughs> exciting. And I think when the UX get, and UI get better, there'll be more adoption. But for us right now, we can just go and it's mostly Bitcoin, as I think. You just gotta you just gotta search for Bitcoin Akasi on, on Noster and you'll find it one way or another. Okay. I mean yeah, okay, cool. It's, All I, right. I don't yeah. <laughs> but it works. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh Herman, I'll be watching from afar and uh thanks so much for your time, bro. Really appreciate it. And um yeah, thanks so much for all you do for the community. It's uh yeah, much admired awesome, and respected, man. Thank man. You. Awesome. Thank right. you, appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and that you got some value out of it. Either way, hit me up on Twitter and let me know what you think. My handle is Dale21M. If you've got any suggestions as to people you think I should be talking to or topics I should address to, I would love that sort of feedback. 
Otherwise, if you want to support the show, there's a couple different ways you can do that. The first is just to share it amongst your friends and family. The more that people hear the message that Bitcoin and crypto are not the same thing, the better. And I want to help people understand that. The second thing you can do is give me a five-star review on whichever podcast app you're using. Of course, that's only if I deserve it. And last but not least, if you want to stream Satsmoe via the Fountain app, I'm not going to say no, but it's not expected. Thank you so much for your support thus far. It means the world to me. I appreciate the hell out of you and the best is yet to come. Much love, friends. I'll see you on the other side.